Good morning, FBC. You can go ahead and grab a seat there. Isn't it good to know that when God speaks, he moves, and people and things change, hearts change? Didn't you love the, the face of that young lady when she came up out of the water? How many of you guys saw her face? I don't know if I've seen a look of pure joy like that uh, from somebody coming up out of the, the baptismal like that in quite a long time. That was a blessing. Well, uh, last night, as I was uh, preparing to uh, get ready for this morning, one of our children uh, decided to give me some pointers on homiletics. And homiletics is the art or delivery of preaching. And so I'm like, I'm all ears. To, uh, give me what you got. And so they said it just comes down to two things. If you want to preach a good sermon, just one, don't be nervous. And two, make sure you brush your teeth really well. <laughs> and I'm like, that's it? And they're like, that's it. Well, here we are this morning here. So uh, when Cosette and I first got married, my wife asked me if I would be kind enough to put up a shelf in our daughter Mariah's room. It was a very basic shelf. It only came with six pieces, and I only needed to use four of the six pieces. <laughs> now, I, I'm not a handyman. I have the uncanny ability of taking a five-minute project and turning it into a 50-minute project. So as soon as I began this project, I immediately encountered some difficulties. I couldn't get the screw to come out of the wall. Now, I, 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 every time I turned it, it just kept spinning, and I turned the, the screwdriver again, and it would spin, and it just kept spinning, and it was an absolute mystery to me. And what I didn't know was that I was up against something I had never seen or heard of before. I was up against something called a toggle bolt. <laughs> now, for you handymen, you know that toggle bolts aren't like your ordinary screws. So I'm sitting there, I'm turning it, and I'm turning it, and I'm turning it, and it just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning, and I'm becoming more and more frustrated why a simple screw won't come out of the wall. Well, after a long time of fighting the screw, I decided to humble myself and call one of my friends who's a, a handyman. So I explained to him what's happening. He says, well, the reason why it's doing that, it's not an ordinary screw, it's something called a toggle bolt. And I'm like, well, what kind of cotton-headed ninny-muggins would invent something as monstrosity as, as such as this? Well, he explained to me how to take care of it, so I, I took care of it, and then came phase two. All I had to do was just drill two simple holes, put in two screws, two screws, and place the shelf on her daughter's wall. Simple enough, right? Well, no matter how hard I tried, I could not get the two screws to line up to the two holes on the back of the shelf. And the more I tried, the more frustrated I became over the matter. So I had my face smashed up against the wall just trying to eye the little, little hole in the back of the, of the shelf and then try to line it up with the screw, and it wouldn't work, and I'm getting more and more frustrated. Well, my wife uh, uh, at that point tends to... Uh, lends me her expertise on how to place a shelf on a wall. And, of course, uh, I got a little snappy with her. And then I started raising my voice. And at a certain point, I began yelling, It won't stick! It won't stick! Meanwhile, our two-year-old daughter is standing in her crib, and she's watching the whole thing play out. She's looking at me like I'm some sort of orc from Lord of the Rings. 
and she's wondering who this strange red-faced man is standing in her bedroom behaving in such a manner. And so I just continue yelling, and believe it or not, my daughter's fascination with Daddy Orc turned into laughter. She stood up in her crib, pointed at me, and she literally started laughing at me. Now, in the middle of my daughter's laughter, I had what some psychologists might call an out-of-body experience. <laughs> my face grew rigid, my face became contorted, my cheeks became red and flush and bulging, and I unleashed a fury of yelling at those two screws as the world had never heard before. At which point, our daughter, Mariah's laughing uh, turned into mocking, and she repeated, it won't stick. It won't stick. <laughs> My sweet wife, who's witness to all of this as it's unfolding, she, she turns her head, she buries her face in her hands, and she starts laughing. <laughs> but of course, at this point, I stop my tirade, right? I come to my senses, right? I realize it's pure foolishness to speak to inanimate objects. I realize it's a poor example to set to my wife and my child of two years. And to my shame, I must admit before you this morning, my tirade continued on a little while longer until the Holy Spirit brought conviction over my sinful irritability and my sinful anger. How is it that two little toggle bolts and two little screws and one little shelf can bring about such foolishness. Gotta ask, has anything like that ever happened to you before? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where one moment all is well in your world and the next moment you are blowing a head gasket? Have you ever found yourself saying and doing foolish things when something didn't go according to plan? Maybe it was that conversation that just didn't go as expected. Maybe it was being late to an event because your spouse was late running behind for the 30th time. Maybe it was that child who disregarded your instructions repeatedly over and over again. Whatever it was, you found yourself saying and doing some very foolish things in that moment. If we're all honest, we'd have to admit that there have been occasions where foolishness got the upper hand. Well, we're currently in the middle of a series about wisdom, and this morning I'd like to talk about three principles that can help all of us diffuse our anger. Three principles that can help all of us diffuse our anger. So let's pray, let's, and then we'll dive in. Fathers, we sang this morning that when you speak and when you move, things and people change. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would speak to every single person in here listening to it this morning, whether live or online. And I pray that you would move in such a way as that when we leave here this morning, we wouldn't be most concerned about what we're eating after the service, but we would be most concerned about continuing to, to feast on your word and that it would have its way in our hearts. Father, we all know that the speaker has no ability whatsoever to make that happen, and so we're, we're just asking for you to speak and move a little more this morning for your glory and our good. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Three principles that can help all of us diffuse our anger. Number one, be sure to keep a watchful eye on the length of your fuse. Be sure to keep a watchful eye on the length of your fuse. 
Can we all just start with three basic assumptions? Assumption number one is we all have a fuse. We all have uh, things that set us off, things that spark our anger. Number two, we all have different things that lighter fuses. What sets you off may not set off your spouse. What sets off your spouse, you may not even give the least bit of attention. What really irks you may not irk your children. But we have different things that lighter fuses. And number three, we all have different links to our fuses. For some of us, we're just kind of like easy come, easy go. Not very few things bother us during the work day or in the home. We have a very long fuse. For some of us, it doesn't take a whole lot to set us off. We have a very short fuse. So with those three assumptions in mind, I'd like you to turn your attention to what God has to say about something that we all struggle with, and that's anger. So turn your attention to Proverbs 12, verse 16. It says this, A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Now, I'd like, you, like for all of us, just for a moment, to focus on the phrase, shows his annoyance at once. That means the foolish person is a person who is easily irritated. The foolish person gets angry quickly and over the smallest of things. Another way of putting it is the foolish person has a very short fuse. It doesn't take very long and it doesn't take very much to set them off. Since uh, we all live in a sin-cursed world, a lot of things can and do go wrong. Your life rarely goes according to plan, and because your life rarely goes according to plan, it means there's always something we can be angry about, right? And if there's always something we can be angry about, it's quite likely that the foolish person is always going to find themselves in a sour mood. The, the fool is someone who's always upset about something, always complaining about something. Something's wrong with their food or with the people that they work with or the way their spouse is doing something or the way someone that didn't, didn't do something. The fool has a very short fuse. Now, I have a friend that lives back in Ohio. Uh, for those of you who have never been to Ohio, it's like the Hawaii of the Midwest. I mean, it just has some spectacular scenery there. The mountains are amazing. The waterfalls are amazing. The pig farms are like none you've ever seen before. Well, my friend who lives back in Ohio was telling me that when he was 20 years old, give or take, uh, and he was living out, out in Pennsylvania, him and his friends would go out to the mountains to set off some explosions. Now, I didn't say my friend went off to the mountains to set off fireworks. Fireworks were mere ch child's play for my friend. But before he would go into the mountains, uh, he would get in the car with his buddies, and they would go deep into the woods. And they would go down this little path, and when they came to the end of the path, there was this little cabin in the woods. And my friend would get out of the car, and he would go up, and he would knock on that door in the little cabin in the woods. And the door, after a little while, would just very slowly creak open. And standing in the shadows behind that door was a hillbilly. And the hillbilly uh, would just look at my friend, and uh, my friend would essentially say, we're here for the goodies. Wink, wink. <laughs> and at that point, the hillbilly would ask, are any of you all associated with the FFA? 
Well, uh, for those of you who don't know, the FFA stands for Future Farmers of America. Uh, what the hillbilly meant to ask was, are you all associated with the ATF? And the ATF stands for the Alcohol, uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Just as a side note, I don't think education was a high priority on that man's list based upon the kind of question he asked. So my friend responded, no, we're not with the future farmers of America. And the hillbilly said, well, okay then, come on in. So my friend came on in. They had a little bit of chit-chat. After a little bit of chit-chat, the hillbilly walked over to a wall, came up to a freezer, and pushed the freezer uh, away from the wall. And there behind the wall was a big hole that had been cut out of that wall. And so the hillbilly invited uh, my friend to go on to, uh, through that hole. So they both climbed through the hole in the wall. And uh, there in that room contained a room full of sticks of dynamite. Now, uh, the items in that room all came in different sizes and shapes and prizes, but they all had one thing in common. Can you guess what it was? They all had fuses, every last one of them. And guess what? So do you, except your fuse is connected to your heart. So the question we all ought to be asking this morning is, how long is my fuse? How much does it take to set me off? How much does it take before I start sinning with my words and my attitudes? And this is important because the length of our fuse says something very significant about the condition of our hearts. You see, if we find ourselves in situations where we're, we're constantly having a short fuse, God says something's wrong with our hearts and we're living foolishly. After doing nearly 20 years of biblical counseling, I've discovered that most angry people don't have a foggy clue that they're actually angry people. I find that startling that most angry people don't have a foggy clue that they're angry people. You ask their spouse, their spouse says, oh my word, they're an angry person. You ask their kids, oh my word, they're an angry person. You ask their friends or their in-laws, like man, they're an angry person. But the angry person is often very clueless. So I have a simple test that can help all of us here this morning uh, as we discover if, whether we have anger or not in our lives. How would you answer these questions here on this anger test? Number one, I get easily irritated by the small things in life. Number two, when I have to wait in line or wait for someone very long, I get really annoyed. Didn't last sat Sunday night summer bash help some of us with that one? For some of you that were here, you know, you know what I'm talking about there. Number three, those who know me best would say I have a very short fuse. Number four, I often find myself having heated arguments with the people who are closest to me. And number five, when I get upset, my first response is either yelling or saying something hurtful. So if on a scale of one to 10, like you were to give yourself a grade, like one, man, this is not a problem at all. 10, I really, really struggle in those areas. How would you honestly answer those questions? Do you find yourself getting easily irritated over the small things in life? Do you find yourself entrenched in conflict uh, with the people you live with more often than not? Do you have a tendency to gravitate more towards the foolish end of the spectrum rather than the wise end? 
Another way of putting it is if we were to invite to the stage today the people in your life who knew you best, and we asked them this one simple question, which stick of dynamite best represents your life? Uh, Would the people who knew you best say you're more like this one? Short fuse, big explosion. Like when you're angry, everybody better take cover because the shrapnel of your foolishness is coming their way. Like always upset about something, always something volatile, just shaking inside of us, ready to explode. Or would the people who knew you best say you're more like this stick of dynamite right here? Long fuse, small boom. Would the people who know you say that You're consistently patient and gentle. Not a whole lot sets you off. Which one would they choose? I think now would be a really good time to ask, well, why do we have a tendency in many of our situations and circumstances of life, why do we tend to be more like this than we do this? Why do our fuses seem to be so short so often? Or another way of putting it, what's behind all that irritability? What's behind all that impatience? What's behind all that anger in your life? Well, when I'm with, uh, working in the yard with our kids, and they just love to do yard work, they cannot get enough of trimming bushes in our house, and they cannot get enough of pulling weeds. Like that is one of the, they'd rather do that than go to Disneyland any day of the week. And so uh, when we're out there working in the yard, I tell them over and over again, you got to pull the weeds by the roots or we're all going to be out here pulling the weeds again. So let's get to the root of the problem. Well, believe it or not, the book of Jonah can help us pull the weeds and get to the roots of our our life. So uh, I just want to give you like a one-minute synopsis of the whole book of Jonah. How many many of you have ever read through the book of Jonah before? Ever heard maybe a Bible story? It's really not about a a whale and a man. It's a whole lot more than that. But uh, Jonah gets an assignment from God, and on this assignment, he's supposed to go to a place called, does anybody know what it's called? Great, great. And so he's supposed to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to do that. So he decides he's going to tuck tail and get out of town. And so he gets on a boat so he can go hide from God. And we all know how that ends. And he ends up in the belly of a... Uh, some, we got some whalers and we got some fishers. So we don't know what it was in the belly of a fish. Well, three days in the belly of a well is a great place to, uh, to, to learn some lessons that God has for you. And so in the b- belly of the well, Jonah decides to repent and he goes, uh, decides to go to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh and uh, guess what happens to the whole city of Nineveh? They repent because when God speaks and when God moves, great things happen and they all repented. And then... Um, He didn't want that to happen. He didn't like the people of Nineveh. And so he uh, says to God, he he begins pouting, and this is what he says. Take my life. And then this was uh, God's response in Jonah 4.4. Jonah, have you any right to be angry? You know, God is essentially asking Jonah, what if the things that really make you angry are things you shouldn't be getting angry about? Now, that's a really good question. What if God were to have a private counseling session with each one of you after the service today, and his first question was this, 
when you think back over the last few weeks of your life and all the times you were irritable and all the times you were impatient and all the times you were angry, did you have a right to be angry? Were the things you were angry about things God would want you to be angry about? What if the things that really make us angry are things you and I shouldn't be getting angry about? And I know this is the point where the inner lawyer in all of us begins to kick in. And our inner lawyer will come up with all kinds of excuses and blame shifting and justifications and rationalizing it as why we have every right to be annoyed and irritated and angry about all the things that set us off in life. But few of the reasons that and excuses that uh, our inner lawyer comes up with are really valid. God tells us the real reason behind all of our irritability, all of our impatience, and all of our anger, and it's found in James chapter 4, verse 1. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle where? Okay, that was a little weak. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle where? Within you, yes. According to the word of God, whenever you and I get angry, it has very little to do with what the people are doing or not doing in our lives. And so God is pretty clear that when we're on the war path, it's because something's not right with our hearts. And you know the hardest thing to accept about anger is you are the problem. It's not your inept boss. It's not your contentious spouse. It's not your disobedient, disobedient children. It's not the driver in, front, uh, in the car in front of me. The real problem is me, my heart. And may I suggest to you this morning that the real reason we never really make much progress uh, with our anger is we're constantly laying blame at the feet of the wrong people in the wrong situations. We're blaming everyone else and everything else for our own impatience and anger. Which brings us back to the point of that the length of our fuse says something very significant about the condition of all of our hearts. And we would all do well to keep a watchful eye on the length of it. So some of you may be asking, well, how in the world do we keep a watchful eye on the length of our fuse? And I think the last half of this proverb helps us with that. And uh, Proverbs 12, it says, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Well, what's a prudent man? It's a prudent uh, man is another way of saying a wise man. A wise person stays calm when insulted. So we can keep a watchful eye on the length of our fuses by watching how we respond to real or perceived injustices in our lives. Now here, Solomon is talking about uh, the person who has been slighted or disrespected. And what do they do? They just let it roll off their shoulders. They don't give much attention to it. And they don't get offended. Can we just admit that sometimes we get upset over the most trivial of things? Can we just acknowledge that a great deal of the things that you and I get offended over don't even merit our attention? That a lot of the things that we are taking personally, that people are saying or doing, are things that God says we just ought to be overlooking? And you know, Jesus Christ is the perfect example of this. He's the perfect example of overlooking insults and offenses and not getting angry over things. And at this point, I realize some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, Pastor Sean. 
Didn't Jesus get angry? Didn't he get fired up over a few things? And the answer is that, of course he did. Jesus always got angry when another person's well-being was at stake. He got angry at the Pharisees because when he went to heal a man with a shriveled hand, they cared more about their man-made laws rather than a man being, being a cripple for the rest of his life. And Jesus got angry about that. And Jesus came into the temple, and what he saw before him, he was, it was a, a den of thieves. They, they were dishonoring God, and, and they were uh, robbing the poor people, and uh, he got upset about that. But did you know that Jesus Christ never once got angry when he was personally insulted? You know, people tested him. People accused him of being the devil, People lied about him, uh, people uh, betrayed him, people denied him. He was beaten and he was tortured and he it was crucified. And yet Jesus never once got angry when he was personally disrespected. Jesus never took offense when others slighted him and he never ever retaliated. And the reason for that is Jesus was always far more concerned about the Father's will than he was his own. Jesus was always far more concerned about uh, how other people were being treated than how he was being treated. But that's not so with the person who's more concerned about their own will. I love what Paul Tripp has to say about this. He says, when we stand in the center of our own universe with nothing more important to us than ourselves, we find nothing more offensive than a sin against us. Isn't that true? When we find ourselves at the center of our own universe, any sin committed against us, any uh, sleight of hand committed against us is a cosmic injustice. But Jesus Christ was never like that. He made a choice not to be offended when he was slighted or disrespected. So the question is, well, what can you and I learn this morning from Jesus' example? And it's this. Being irritated by another person's behaviors is a choice. Being irritated or offended by another person's words is a choice, but so is overlooking it. We have a choice whether or not we're going to show our annoyance at once. And by God's grace, we don't have to have a short, short fuse. We can choose the path of wisdom. And now there's a second principle we find in Proverbs that can motivate us to diffuse our anger. And uh, it's this. Number two, be sure that danger always accompanies your unchecked anger. Be sure that danger always accompanies your unchecked anger. In case we didn't know, there are always consequences that follow unrestrained emotions and unrestrained tongues. Isn't that true? The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. You know, one of the worst things that could happen to a city in Old Testament times is to be a city without walls. And the reason why it would be a terrible thing is because it would be disastrous for the people to be left in a city with absolutely no protection. It left them vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And so the principle we see here in Proverbs 25 is, the, uh, is that a person who does not control their temper is going to be like a city without any protection. They're going to be easy prey for the attacks of the devil. See, the thing is, if you and I lack self-control, we're not going to be able to put much, up much resistance uh, when temptations come our way. 
It'd sort of be like strapping a couple chickens to your body and then hopping into the lion exhibit at the zoo. It's not going to end well. You're not going to be able to put up much resistance. And the person who cannot manage their emotions or keep check their, their passions is just an accident waiting to happen. They will have no defense against life's many temptations and will always and constantly be losing the war against irritability, impatience, and anger. Well, you know, it's not only bad for this kind of person, it's also bad for all the people around them. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 22, a hot-tempered man commits many sins. A person without self-control will say and do all sorts of things, and a person who says and does all sorts of things is likely to find their relationships in tatters. And here's why. Anger always leaves its mark. Whether we want to believe it or not, your anger and mine is very destructive. It does significant damage to all of our relationships. You know, we'll have this outburst of anger. We're just unload on our kids or unload on our spouse. We'll say something harsh, something sarcastic. And we just think with the passing of time, somehow that just magically fixes everything. You just give it a day or two, cool our jets, and they're totally fine. But that's not how it works. Anger always leaves its mark. You know, our relationships are a lot like fine china. You know, they're very fragile, and they should be handled with care. You don't treat your family plates from coals the same way you treat your grandma's fine china, right? Well, I don't know much about fine china, but I did some research this week, and by a stroke of good fortune, I was able to acquire what I believe to be a, a very rare piece of china from Walmart. And as you can tell, I brought it in a very special carrying case so it wouldn't get damaged. Now, uh, this fine piece of china is not the same as it was about a week ago. Um, and the reason why it's not the same as it was about a week ago, it's uh, not been handled with care. Um, matter of fact, uh, it's been handled kind of harshly. And because it's handled, been handled kind of harshly, it's been broken. The good news is it's been glued, and it's back together again, and you can eat off of it if you want to. The bad news is it's been glued back together again, and it's never going to look the same again. And this plate is an awful lot like our relationships. What harsh hailing can do to fine china, harsh words and anger can do to all of our relationships. And the reason why is our anger always leaves some sort of mark. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 12, 16, or 12, 18, reckless words pierce like a sword. All of our yelling, all of our cursing, all of our biting sarcasm leaves its mark on the hearts of the people that we say we love the most. And unfortunately, that's one of the dangers of unchecked anger. It, it does hurt the people around us. But good news is, are you guys ready for some good news? There's a much better way than living foolishly. God says there's a, a way that we can live wisely, and it's found in this last principle here. And number three, be sure that a spiritual victory is always better than any physical one. Be sure that a spiritual victory is always far better than any physical one. And this is what we see in Proverbs 16, 32. 
Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who takes a city. See, in biblical times, if you were the commanding officer over an army that just conquered a city, you can bet your bottom dollar everyone near and far is going to know who your name is. There would be very few things that would carry the prestige and the honor and the riches and the fame. But God says all the riches and the honor and fame is small potatoes compared to the man or woman who can control their emotions in difficult circumstances. God is telling us right here in this proverb that it's better to be a man who's able to keep his emotions in check than it is to be a five-star general who just conquered a city. Another way of putting it in our terms today would be it's more important to God that you win the battle in your own heart than it is uh, to win the battle on the ball field or in the boardroom or in the bedroom. A spiritual victory always far surpasses any kind of physical one. Well, I think after looking at these Proverbs today, it's safe to say that we could all stand room for a little bit of growth in our life. None of us can say that we've crossed the finish line of sanctification when it comes to anger, irritability, or impatience. None of us can honestly say that we have our anger in a chokehold and we have it under control at all times and all places with all people. Let's just all assume for a moment that we have room to change in this area. Let's ask the question then, well, why do I need to start dealing with the anger in my life? Well, it all boils down to this one question. Do you want to be more like Jesus Christ? Do, Do you want your life to reflect more and more of the character of Jesus Christ in your life? Is that important to you? And do you want your life to be more honoring to your Savior? And if you answer that with a big resounding yes, then then we can't hold on to our anger and at the same time say we want to glorify him with our lives. The Bible says a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It's not possible to hold on to it and still uh, say I want to honor the Lord with my life. So if the Holy Spirit is working in your life right now and you feel convicted over the irritability, the impatience, and the uh, sinful anger in your life, God has some very good news for all of us. He offers us some practical hope and some practical help with the anger in our life. So let's first go with the hope. Maybe you've been battling uh, anger for years. You've, you've been this, this guy or this gal right here. Like your fuse, man, it is very, very short. Everybody has to walk on eggshells when they start talking about certain conversations in the household or certain topics come up. They know they better run. If this is you and you want to change, good news is we can change. Let me give you a very practical example. How many of you have ever been in the middle of a tirade and you have just been unleashing your fury on one of your children or your spouse, the veins are bulging from your head and you are just yelling and then all of a sudden the phone rings and the person on the other end of the line says, how are you today? And then in a moment of almost instantaneous sanctification, you reply, me? Oh, God has been so good to me today. I am blessed and highly favored, and God has blessed my little reprobates in the house. We're just all so blessed. Oh, 
would, would I love to teach a Sunday school lesson on patience? Oh, I would love to. I've just been showing the abounding love of Jesus Christ to our kids. Just had an opportunity to practice that. I can handle that. Bye-bye now. Kiss, kiss. <laughs> well, what in the world just happened? One moment you're on the warpath, you're Mike Tyson in the ring with everyone around you, and the next moment you're Mother Teresa. What that tells us is that, that you can't control your temper when you really want to. You and I can really control our tempers when we really want to. I love what Jay Adams says. The problem is that you have learned not to bother to control your temper in certain circumstances with certain persons. Let me say that again. The problem is that you have learned not to bother to control your temper in certain circumstances with certain persons. In other words, you've developed an ungodly habit of letting your temper fly in the presence of your family. And the good news is habits can be broken. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out that so you can stand up underneath it. That is good news. So that's the hope. Well, what about the practical help? Okay? For you note takers, you want to change with this area uh, in your life? Number one, the first thing that you need to do is you need to repent. You need to start taking God's side against your sin. You need to stop defending your sin and own up to it and confess it to God for what it is and confess it to others. That's the first step. You take that step today, you are on the right path of sanctification. Number two, you need to get some gospel help. You didn't get saved by works and you're not gonna change by works alone. You cannot change your anger problems in your own strength. You can't change your irritability problems in your own strength. You can't change your impatience in your own strength. The kind of help you need, you're never going to find it by looking within. You're never going to try, find it by trying harder, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. You're never going to find it by charging the hill. The kind of help you need, you're never going to find it by steps or principles, you're going to find it in the person of Jesus Christ. It's God's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, and it's his grace that teaches us to say right or yes to righteousness. And grace, before it's ever a thing, it's a person, and we change through the person of Jesus Christ. Can we get an amen? amen. So um, you're going to need some gospel help. And maybe you're in here this morning and you're like, man, I've got far bigger problems than the anger in my life. I have a colossal amount of sin in my life that has not been dealt with. I'm not right with the king and creator of the universe. And so my anger is just a little small potatoes compared to my anger before the Lord and, and all the other sins before the Lord. And you're not right with the Lord. Well, man, this morning would be a wonderful time to say, God, I have a sin problem that you are angry about. I'm a, I'm a child of wrath and I need forgiveness of my sins. And I know that's why Jesus Christ, the, the righteous one died for un, an unrighteous person like me and he was uh, crucified and he was buried and he rose again. And the Bible says anyone who puts their trust in him alone, uh, they will never be put to shame and you'll be free. And you'll not only be delivered from the wrath of God and be a child of God, you'll have new strength and new resources to deal with your anger.
Number three, so after you repent, and number two, after you get some gospel help, number three, uh, I want to encourage you to remember two words, 1216. Write that down, 1216. In my family, uh, I've told my wife, I do not have the ability of my own strength to deal with my irritability and patience and anger. Unfortunately, I'm far too familiar with it. And so I've told my wife, honey, I need some help from the Lord. I need some help from you. And so whenever you see me walking down the path of foolishness, when I'm yelling at inanimate things, I'm talking to toggle bolts, I'm yelling at screws, I'm yelling over and over again, it won't stick, it won't stick. I ask her to, to do me a favor and help me out. And, and what she said, says, I say, this is what I want you to tell me, 1216. And the kids, kids don't know what that means. Well, they might be getting the hang of it now, but every single time I ask her to say just 1216, and 1216 stands for Proverbs 1216, a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prude man overlooks an insult. And what she's saying is she's giving me an invitation to walk down the path of wisdom rather than continue down the path of foolishness. And so when we're someplace with the kids and we're driving and I'm being sinful and I'm being irritable, she would just say, Sean, 1216. That's my stop sign. Do I want to be more like Jesus and reflect his character uh, to glorify him and reflect his character to her and reflect his character to my kids? Or do I want to walk in the path of foolishness? I want to encourage you to memorize uh, Proverbs 12, 16. Memorize it and use that as a weapon against the temptations of sin. Number four, effort. You're going to have to put some effort out. Now, didn't you just tell me that you, you, don't, you don't win the battle of temptation by effort? Uh, yeah, I did say that, effort alone. You know, some people will just say, uh, I, I'm just going to look within, try hard, dig down deep, and I got this thing. That's one in the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is, I'm just going to pray and let go and let God. Both extremes of the ditch are uh, not the right way to look at it. So uh, you're going to have to put some force, some effort if you want to change in this area. Uh, change is not easy. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. One prayer is probably not likely going to be enough. I have to pray uh, constantly for this weakness and vice in my life. And so you're going to have to train yourself for godliness. The Bible says you train yourself for godliness, and godliness is not something that you and I just walk into. We don't just walk into it like, bam, uh, automatically I've got godliness in my life. I've got to put forth some effort. For those of you that have had the opportunity to counsel with any of our counselors here at FBC, at the bottom of our homework, at least my homework, it says that we need uh, prayer, we need Bible study, we need right thinking, plus effort equals change. you got to put some effort into it. And then finally, last but not least, I would encourage all of you uh, to uh, check out this little book. I've read this book, too. Uh, I'm on my second time. I got one chapter left to go, and I'm done the second time, and I'm working on it with my kids right now. It's called A Small Book About a Big Problem. This has been one of the most helpful things for me that I've read to help me deal with my irritability and my impatience and anger. It is five stars. It's a gem. I'd encourage you to read it. It's 50 little devotions, just two to three page devotions. And I encourage folks when I'm helping them deal with their anger, uh, I just say, here's what I encourage you to do. Just get this little book, read chapter one. And when you get to the end of the book or the end of day one, uh, you just highlight the whole thing up, that whole day one up, and whatever stands out to you the most, whatever encourages you the most or challenges you the most, just write out one sentence what stands out to you. And uh, I can remember from nine months ago what my first sentence says. Anger leaves its mark. And then when you're done with day one, day two comes around, read day two. 
But before you read day two, go back and read the one sentence that you wrote at the end of this little uh, chapter right here, day one. Anger leaves its mark. Then go ahead and read day two. Read day two, highlight it all up. When you're done highlighting it all up, you take one sentence that encourages you or challenges you and you write it down. And then there you go. Next day comes along and you get ready to read day three. Do you start off reading day three? No, you go back and you read day two, the one sentence that you wrote down. And then you go back to day one and you read that one sentence that you wrote down. And what you're doing is you're meditating on the things that you need to to help you to look more like Jesus Christ. So you want to look more like Jesus Christ? Start by repenting. Number two, get some gospel help. Three, memorize Proverbs 12, 16. Four, put out uh, uh, some effort and um, keep trying, keep trying. Uh, the Bible says a just man will fall seven times and rise again. And number five, get in God's word and read books about God's word. And the good news is you and I can change. And all God's people said, all righty, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, you know how hard it is for us to change. We are completely incapable of changing on our own by just mere human effort. And so, Lord, um, we, we need gospel help. We need the person of Jesus, not only to save our souls from sin, but to help us to change and, and be who you want us to be for your glory and the good of those around us. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to invite you, if you are struggling with anger in your life, now would be a really good time to take the first step for you and just raise your hand and ask for prayer. If, you're, if you struggle with anger in your relationship with your spouse or with your kids, nobody's looking around, just raise your hand saying, I would like some prayer for this. I see a hand there, another one there, another one there, another one. Hands are going up all over the place. Another one there, another one there, another one right here. I see your hands, okay? Another one right there in the middle, I see you. Lord, these folks here are taking the first step, uh, humbling themselves in your sight, and Lord, I pray that you would lift them up in due time, help them with their anger, help them to put off anger and to put on love, put on patience for your glory and the good of, of all the people that they know. Father, thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we give you all the glory, we pray, amen. Well, folks, have a Christ-centered week by his grace and for his glory. God bless. Thank you for joining our worship service today. Our prayer is that God is using the worship and the message to inspire you to love him, love people, and influence the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today or would like somebody to pray with you, you can let us know by clicking the connection card link. If you haven't yet, you can download our church app where we post upcoming events and announcements, and you can share this week's message with a friend. You can also check out our website at fbclcart.org to stay connected with us. God bless, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.